Hey everyone, Anthony here. Thanks for listening. On today's show, we have a really fun conversation with Nick Martone. Nick is a hospitality guru, so we talk about the bear, we talk about bar rescue, we talk about some fun cocktails you can make at your next party. He's also a father too, he's an author, he's been meditating since before it was cool, so we get into a lot of stuff. I appreciate you listening, let me know what you think about the show, and if you would click the follow button, leave me a rating, that would mean the world to me, it's the best way to help the podcast grow. Anyway, on to the show. Welcome back to the Successful Working Parents Podcast, the podcast where we talk to successful working parents, still working on the title. My guest today, he is the founder of Mautone Enterprises. He is a hospitality guru. He's the author of several books, including The Artisan Kitchen, Holiday Cocktails, and a father of two, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Mautone. Nick, thank you for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure, Anthony. Thank you for having me. Yeah, looking forward to our conversation. So usually we kick off with just telling us a little bit of a background on your career. Sounds great. Um, as you mentioned, I'm in a hospitality business. I've been um, a hospitality professional for the better part of uh, 40 plus years at this point in time. And long story short, I was pre-med at Fordham University, putting myself through school by working in restaurants. And uh, at one point, uh, gave into my love for uh, the hospitality industry, uh, gave up pre-med and have never looked back since. Uh, during that time, my brothers and I opened up a pizza and pasta restaurant in Columbus Avenue in New York called American Pie, sort of an innovative, uh, unique deep dish pizza restaurant in 1984. And uh, you know, we had that business for about eight years and uh, young, inexperienced, underfinanced, overleveraged, and more interested in girls than I think in making money at that time. So it uh, didn't quite work out, uh, but I retained that entrepreneurial itch and have been a self-employed hospitality entrepreneur ever since. So having worked in quite a number of different businesses, most people know me reputationally as managing partner at Gramercy Tavern in New York City, where I was from 1995 to 2003, and uh, a partner in the hospitality group during that time. We only had a couple of restaurants when I left. Uh, but I started Motone Enterprises, which is my management and consulting company uh, in uh, 2000, well, right after I left Gramercy, 2003, uh, got married and started a new business and uh, have never looked back. I've, I've loved every minute of it. Um, as you can imagine, uh, starting out a career uh, as a newlywed and then soon to be a father for the second time, uh, I put a lot of effort into the business and uh, a little bit of travel, a good supportive wife. And, uh, you know, it's uh, 20 years later that Moton Enterprises is still going strong, although I'm starting to phase out a little bit and work a little bit less and try to enjoy a little bit more. First of all, go Rams, also a fellow <laughs> Ram. That's right. Different. Different, uh, different time, I believe, but I would have loved to uh, swing by American Pie for a slice. So would you say that when you, when you started doing your consulting, are you kind of doing what the guy from Bar Rescue is doing? So there's, a, there's an element of the guy from Bar Rescue is, is pretty good, right? I, I give him the credos. I've, I've watched entirely one or two episodes. That's it. Because I don't really like those shows. Um, uh, and the, the answer is yes, I help businesses uh, turn around. But no, I don't like the ethos of a lot of the uh, uh, shows that are on TV that are working to uh, glorify what they do at the expense of the, the operator. Um, so Bar Rescue, yes, in the sense that I do a lot of turnarounds. Uh, I've done 
quite a number of them over the years. I think I, I specialize in coming in and calming the situation down and helping people really figure out what they need to be, but it's not as simplistic as they make it on TV. Uh, but I've also opened uh, opened about 100, 120 some odd restaurants uh, uh, with a variety of chefs and, and operators. Uh, I kind of had a love of taking a young uh, sous chef who's never been an operator before, who wanted to open up their business, or a young restaurateur who's never had their own business before, and helping them from writing their business plan to negotiating a lease for them to, you know, interceding between them and their investor pool and, and doing everything up to construction management and getting them open. So I love the business and I love uh, I love the turnaround because I get to help people. I'm in the, in the process of doing one right now, which I won't name because it's not right to the business, but um, but it, it took a lot of joy out of taking an operator who's having a difficult period and teaching them how to do it the right way and engaging them and the staff and the management on, on, on how to make their business work and sustainable for the long term. How would you say that your experience in hospitality has informed your role as a parent? Um, I think that I might turn that question around and say, how would my role as a parent inform my <laughs> leadership? That was the next, that's the next question. That, that's um, the next question. Yeah, I think the two go hand in hand. Let's be realistic. Um, you know, as a as a, an owner, operator, manager, consultant, uh, uh, you're dealing with a lot of unique and interesting personalities and um, having the diplomacy and the, uh, the care uh, to listen, I, I use the term, listen to understand, not to reply. And it's the same whether it's your children or it's the same whether it's your uh, the, the team you're working with or an irate guest. You need to listen carefully so that you can hear what the person is actually saying, child or client or employee, and um, understand exactly what they mean as opposed to the words that they're saying and not reply and allow them to keep coming out and talking and getting it off their chest and understanding. So I find that uh, there's a lot of similarities between uh, leading a team and parenting and vice yeah. versa. I like, I like that conversational advice in general. Is that something that you do by just not responding right away? Or how do you in practice do that? There's not responding right away, but, uh, but I'd say how you respond is more important than not responding at all, right? If uh, a child uh, is coming to me, one of my kids is coming to me with, with their problem, one of my employees is coming to me with their problem, uh, I listen as carefully and as and intently as possible. And, you know, you try to get them to emote their feelings, right, by using verbiage, something like, wow, I can understand why you're so upset. I didn't solve the problem for them. I didn't uh, tell them that I'm going to solve the problem for them, but I'm, I'm exuding empathy and showing that I understand where they're at and why they're upset. And then what usually follows from there is that the employee or my child uh, has a tendency to continue talking because they know you're listening, right? They know you're upset. And so I'll get a, you might say, a leading question that allows them to help them solve the problem themselves. Taking a lot of notes here, I feel like this is helpful in my marriage <laughs> as well. So I appreciate it. My pleasure. You have two kids. You're in the hospitality industry, and so I imagine you're almost always on site. You're probably traveling quite a bit. So yes. how are you able to juggle the travel with the family life? So, you know, I've had uh, – my career has had multiple stages uh, as I've progressed. And I'll say when my daughter was born and the early um, earlier early years in her life – she's 30 now, if I haven't mentioned – 
And uh, I, at that time, I was the general manager of a couple of different restaurants and then, you know, uh, landed with Danny Meyer at Gramercy Tavern and became managing partner. So my hours were pretty intense. It became the most important thing is to communicate with my children. And when I was there to be present. So for my daughter, who I have a great relationship with still, we're, 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 we're buddies to this day, I would be clear with her if I couldn't be around a particular weekend. But I was also very clear, I never missed one of her shows. She was a performing arts student in, in, in grammar school and then later in high school and college. And when I was there, I was present to every one of those events that I could be. I chose not to miss it. I made it work. Even if it meant I left work, came to the show, did what I had to do, and went in three hours earlier the next day so that I could catch up on work that I might have missed or handled or, or you know, support my team who was helping me out. Um, as I progressed through the ranks and my schedule became a little bit easier, uh, I, I had a little bit of the luxury of you know the ownership role where where a lot of managers were doing doing the day to day operations for me and I could you know or, orchestrate my schedule a little bit more flexible. But even then, the hospitality industry is uh, intense on a schedule. When my son was born, I had morphed from a day to day operator to a consultant with numerous projects. You know, at one point, I had five or six different projects. Some of them. Uh, you know, uh, multi-billion, multinational corporations like Grey Goose Vodka or the Television Food Network, where I was consulting. And so, as you can imagine, I was traveling all over. Um, but I'd say the single most important facet to that was communicating with my wife as well as my children, uh, and having a supportive spouse, uh, which I do, and we support each other uh, immensely over the years in communicating what I need as opposed to what she needs and vice versa, um, we found a very, very good balance in there. And to this day, my son, as I've mentioned previously, is a basketball, uh, a, a student athlete going to basketball, wants to play basketball in college. I think I've missed exactly one tournament in the last five years. Um, and you know, sometimes things are, are unforeseen. So he knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm present when I'm whenever I'm there. And I think that's the key in holding that balance. It sounds like communication is super important to you on, on the career side and on the fa- parenting side. Absolutely. I'd say there's, uh, it, it's the number one thing. And I, and I will confess that I'm not, you know, the best uh, at chit chat, if you will, you know, and, and just chatting for the sake of chatting. But when a real conversation needs to be had, I don't shy away from it. And I feel that um, I think the hallmark of my leadership style, my management career has been looking my employees, my direct reports in the eye, if they were other managers or my hourly employees, whatever, whoever needed a conversation, I was candid, I was honest, I was truthful. And most importantly, I listened carefully to what they had to say. And I think it's the same for my employees. It was the same for for my, my children as it were too. What about self-care, taking care of yourself, traveling a lot, you're trying to make things work with your family, you're mm-hmm. in restaurants and things like that. So it's probably not that easy to control your diet. I'm curious if you have any tips for self-care from that perspective. So um, it, 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 you are correct. You know, in traveling, uh, it gets even harder than working in restaurants to 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 handle the self-care uh, because you're on the road and there's it's very easy to get off a plane late at night knowing that you have meetings in the morning and then uh, how do I squeeze in a workout? My whole career, I've been very rigid about maintaining good health because I felt that my physical health and mental health uh, go hand in hand with being a good boss and and, and equally a good parent. Um, I found myself uh, for, for quite a number of years loving my schedule of getting up at 5.45 in the morning. I was in the gym by 6.15, 
got a workout, left the gym with coffee in hand, maybe a bagel, whatever the case may be, started my day and had a great um, work-life balance. So for me, I felt that committing to my health uh, and committing to, most importantly for me, the exercise, I think the diet I was very fairly rig- uh, rigorous with, uh, but getting that exercise in kept me sane and kept me calmer in those stressful situations. So I always feel like it's the necessary evil, if you will, that the more you do it, uh, the more you find that you were able to handle the stresses of the, the day-to-day stresses that business offers. Not always easy. There have been more than a few trips where you're gone for you know, 10 days or two weeks here and there, and uh, you get maybe one workout in and you're eating you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in a hotel or restaurants, and um, you know, it weighs on you. But the key for me is don't stress over it. Come right back. When I get back home, get right back into the routine of getting up, getting in the gym, eating healthy, uh, moderate drinking, moderate, whatever the case may be, and, and really live a, a, a wholesome, balanced life. I travel a lot for work, so I totally understand just eating the airplane food and the airport food and yeah. hotel food. It just, it, it takes a toll on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about your mental health? You mentioned that a couple of times. Is the exercise a, a key component to that or do you have other practices as well? Um, exercise is definitely a key component of that for me because I find it to be Zen, you know, and so I will read on the treadmill, listening to music or read on the exercise bike. Uh, I'm an avid cyclist too. So I, you know, whenever I can, a couple of times a week, I'll get out and do, you know, some, some great road work, which is very Zen for me. Uh, but I adopted uh, yoga and meditation, you know, frankly, back in high school, uh, when friends and I thought it was pretty cool, we were interested. We, um, you know, went to a, a, a local practitioner who taught us yoga, uh, got into the meditation from there and found that uh, it's something I cannot live without at this point in time, more the, the meditation than the yoga. I do yoga occasionally, but uh, I, I, I'm rigorous with my exercise and my diet, but the meditation, you know, almost every night before bed, I need to have that few minutes to chill. During the course of the day, I take, uh, I call it a mini vacation where I may shut the door of my office. Uh, you know, I work from home now, but uh, you know, I'll like, go to a quiet corner. I'll just sit, close my eyes, breathe, take five minutes. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm back into a settled place and follow the mindset, uh, you know, martial arts, they call it mushin, which is no thought. And just have several moments during the course of the day to just have no thoughts going through your head. You got to put everything aside. It's it's helpful, and I've been doing it for a couple of decades now. So, what practice or what app do you use? Um, I don't. Uh, for for me, I I'd studied over the years uh, Taekwondo, Aikido, uh, you know, different forms of yoga. And so during during those lessons and 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 working with you know in the dojo or whatever. You'd learn how to meditate. And so now it's it's not an app for me. It's just a quiet moment of reflective breathing, of, of clarifying thoughts, a little bit of humming, whatever the mantra might might be, or whatever I need at that particular moment. But it's uh, it, it, it's self-induced, if you will. I've been meditating myself for about 10 years now. And it, it, likewise, I feel like it's been just so key to my well-being and just the way I approach life. It's great to see how mainstream is starting to become. But even 10 years ago, it was a weirder thing to be doing. Certainly none of my friends were doing it at the time. Sounds like you were in on it even much earlier than that. So I'm just curious to hear, yep. was it something that you had to like do in secret or did you just sort of go with it and nobody else was doing it? Or what was your experiences in those first few years? Um, in the first few years, I would say it was less about doing it in secret than people just didn't understand that I was doing anything, right? Um, 
And so, you know, like you're, you're, you know, I'm working in a restaurant in, in the early part of my career, you know, get off school, go to work. You know, you take five minutes. I tell someone, I'm just going to, it's going to sit in the corner for a minute. I just need a break for a minute. I've been on my feet. I'll just sort of, you know, walk away and take a moment, close my eyes and, 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 and things are fine. And it just, um, it's something I can't do without. And I've, I've maintained that in my career. I've tried to talk to employees and managers that, that are in my, uh, uh, in my sphere. Uh, to get involved in it as well, because I just think it, it's so beneficial to maintaining our sense of calm and our sense of clarity of thought. Um, just can't do without it any longer. But but I never had a problem with it, you know, 40 years ago when I first started this. Uh, I think, as a matter of fact, some people thought it was cool. So I think that there was the cool edge to it. It's not exactly the flashiest thing. So I guess it's not really, you're not really drawing attention, too much attention to yourself. Exactly. Other than potentially closing your eyes, which you don't even really necessarily need to do. You don't need to do it. That's been my way, though, unfortunately. Right. I'm no, easily same here. attracted if I'm watching things go on around me. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I've just found it such a helpful way to to focus and, and center myself and definitely mm-hmm. try to uh, you know evangelize it as much as I can as well. Great. Switching gears, going back to hospitality. I am mm-hmm. curious to hear your thoughts on The Bear, the TV show. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm going to confess, I've watched a couple of episodes and, uh, I've got some, some travel coming up. I've, uh, committed to saying, okay, I'll watch everything, uh, you know, rewatch the first couple of episodes and watch the whole thing thereafter. Um, so I, I can't opine on the show itself, but in what I understand the, the concept to be about a chef who's got his angst and anger, uh, you know, inside and suddenly getting involved in a different situation, that angst and anger happens uh, because of the intensity of um, of the industry itself. But to be a chef, there's a level of concentration that uh, is pretty intense. I think a lot of chefs fall back into anger mode as opposed to what we were just talking about, meditative mode, where they can actually take the breath, step away from the situation and, and just get back into it without, without losing their cool. So um, can't really opine on the show. But uh, I've got lots of thoughts on the angry knife throwing chef that I'm, I'm not a fan, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably. Would you recommend or encourage your kids to go into the hospitality industry if they wanted to, given everything that you've seen and experienced? I would not encourage them in the sense of I would not push them to do anything that they don't want to do. Uh, I think it's important that my children decide where they want to be professionally and what they enjoy personally and professionally. Uh, I think I'd like to say the hospitality industry found me and uh, I found that I was good at it and I've liked it. And I've just, as I've said, never turned, never, never looked back. It's been 40 plus years at this point. I don't foresee my children uh, looking to get into the hospitality industry uh, just by virtue of their personal likes and where their, my daughter's current career path is at and what my son is talking about once he gets to college. That being said, I had a great career. I had uh, made great friends. I've had great business partners. I've done uh, done done well. Uh, I like to think of myself without sounding arrogant in any way. Um, but I've had a long um, and very comfortable career, and really look back and feel very proud of what I've accomplished. Not everyone has had that experience, so I can appreciate the people who like. I would never want my kid to go in the hospitality industry, right? Because they're looking back, going, "Oh my God, it was so tough. It was so this." I was on the fortunate side. So I think my goal now is to help my industry in whatever way that I can 
to become better, to get over the hurdle of the, um, you know, the hashtag Me Too movement that we've gone through over the number of years, uh, you know, the, the issues that people are dealing with post pre and post pandemic, where it's so difficult to, to operate a restaurant and really focus it as, you know, the, the you know, it's an entre- entrepreneur's dream to get involved in the hospitality industry. So if someone's an entrepreneur and they're willing to make the, the sacrifice of, of time and effort, then I would encourage that. Yeah. How was COVID, by the way? I imagine it was a tough time to be in that space. I'd say um, it was an extremely tough time. Uh, for, for me personally, I had transitioned. I moved from New York to Seattle and we moved for an opportunity my wife had to run a philanthropy that was based here. And so I actually uh, stopped working just before the pandemic started uh, with the mindset of I was going to morph into uh, helping my son get into college, you know, getting out to our new home, and then work on more on my writing career uh, with some nominal consulting as opposed to really focusing on the day-to-day business career. Uh, so, so I was in a fortunate position that a lot of other people weren't. For many of my peers who, uh, who either own or operate or work in restaurants and hotels and so on down like anything in hospitality, it was a very, very difficult time. Um, decisions had to be made that were hard, and there was no right or wrong answer. There was no right uh, way to do anything, but uh, it, you you needed to survive. And so I think people made whatever decisions they can be, whatever decisions they could to help mitigate any problems and just get over the hurdle. And the pandemic forced a lot on the industry. I mean, it was uh, it was a time, I like to say that that the changes that are occurring post-pandemic, at least in hospitality and retail, the changes that are occurring now that the pandemic is over would have happened within five years and, and maybe worst case, 10 years for some of them, but it forced it to happen now. I'm just looking at the increase in technology, uh, you know, mobile ordering inside a restaurant, I should say. We've had mobile ordering for a number of years, but how often do you go to a restaurant now and you scan your phone and you pick up the menu? You don't have printed menus. Uh, you have limited servers, uh, you know, you, you place the order yourself, the drink comes out and the food is phenomenal. The staff that's there is phenomenal. The place is phenomenal. It's a different mindset now. That's only um, going to change exponentially in the next couple of years. And the pandemic kind of forced that to happen sooner rather than later. And it also forced uh, a lot of people to come to the reckoning of that you, you can't pay people um, suboptimal wages uh, you know, and, and expect them to be happy and provide a great environment. That's something I've never believed in. So, so these changes are, it, it's coming through. I live in New York city, as I mentioned, and I was here during that. And so it was really crazy and just sad to see a lot of companies or a lot of restaurants and bars not make it, but also really nice to see the, the adaptations and the outdoor dining and the, the to right. go drinks and the different kind of iterations that we had in those early times. Uh, it was really it was really something. You mentioned writing. I know you've written a few books in the past. Would love to hear a little bit about how you find time to do that. I know that's not easy also. So you you're, you have a job, you have kids, and you're also writing. Like, How do you do, how do, you do all that? And I would say at this particular last couple of weeks, it's been particularly difficult to find the time. But I think it's like anything when you get into a good habit. Um, you know, If I was in an office and had a normal work day, you schedule yourself in such a way that, okay, you know, I have a, you know, a 8.30 meeting with whoever, and then I have a nine o'clock meeting and a 10.30 meeting, and you, you're, you're on the calendar at certain points of the day of things you must get done, right? By virtue of schedule or deadlines or whatever the case may be. 
I feel it's the same uh, in in what I would call my writing career. So I, I am working on another book, the working title, Life Behind Bars. It's not uh, published yet. I haven't sold it yet, uh, but it is uh, lessons and learnings from my 40 years in the hospitality industry. So it's uh, very much on leadership and uh, there'll be some funny stories about what occurred, but it's definitely about what I've observed over the years and where the industry where the industry came from and where it will be going in the 40 years since I started. And so I work on that uh, at this point a couple hours a week. Uh, it's just not something I'm ready to focus on every single day, but I will be I will be there soon. I do some writing for um, some you probably would know them, but you know, hospitality industry publications, bar and rest, uh, bar and restaurant magazine online. You know, one of them, SIP magazine here in the Pacific Northwest. So I'll do some intermittent uh, periodical writing for these publications. And the only way to get around it is to literally, the only way to get through the deadline, if you will, is to be very structured on, uh, you know, from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. I'm working on SIP magazine. From 10 a.m. to you know 11 a.m. I'm working on Bar and Restaurant magazine. And I found that for my book Life Behind Bars, I'm better at night. You know, my my we we finished dinner. My my son is off doing whatever homework he's got. My wife is usually checking her emails and doing whatever work. And I can sit there and write uh, in that quiet hours of the evening. That works for me. It's not works for everyone. So I think it's just being regimented on your day. And actually putting it on the calendar to say, okay, I need to spend an hour doing this and I'm blocking everything out and turn the emails off obviously is the key. So you're blocking it on a, on like your phone calendar, or like on a physical calendar, a uh, phone calendar. I mean, I'm, I'm all digital. So, I mean, I just put it on the calendar so that it reminds me. And then I'm fairly good about saying someone wants a meeting at 10 AM and, and I'm not available because that's my writing time, I'll push them to another day or another time. I, I, I'm trying to make it non-negotiable about when I do my writing because it's easy to fall behind if I don't. Okay, we're going to move into the final segment, which is, we're going to call it Nick's Advice Corner. Okay, I'm going to ask okay. you a few questions, some advice on a few topics, all right? Fair enough. So first question is, what advice would you give to somebody who is looking to break into the hospitality industry? So like any business, it's do your homework. Uh, and, and read as much as you possibly can and read as much in diversity of thought as you possibly can, right? So if you're only reading about, you know, super successful, you know, celebrity chefs, um, you're not getting a real flavor of the industry because there's a lot more than, than a chef who is on TV all the time and has written a number of cookbooks. They have one aspect of the industry. So you, you need to read as much as you possibly can to understand um, the the ups and downs and the pitfalls that you might be facing, right? Uh, that's number one. Uh, you have to go into it with the mindset of this is a business, and am I getting in this because of I, I want to change careers into this, you know, this business? Because a lot of people go into it with the notion of going to the hospitality industry with the notion of I'm a great cook, I'm a great mixologist at home. This is great. I love it. I'm people are going to come visit me. And once they get involved, the reality falls on them fairly quickly that, you know, I need to have my ducks in a row. I need to have a business plan. I need to have a roadmap for how I'm going to work this business. I need to understand, you know, how to do an inventory. So uh, I'd say, you know, read everything you possibly can. Talk to a lot of people in the industry so that you can get uh, some real opinions from people who have gone through the fire and come out the other side um, and then have a clear understanding of where you want to go from there. What's the best advice you've ever received? <laughs> I think as I, I used the term earlier, uh, listen to understand, not to reply. 
And uh, I, I got that line from uh, a, a peer named, uh, I'll say a friend and compatriot named Fred LaFranc, who is a uh, great hospitality consultant. Uh, he's got uh, a few years ahead of me in the industry. And uh, whereas I might consult to more independent restaurants and uh, smaller venues, if you will, he consults to the Red Lobsters of the world, amongst others. Um, he's a brilliant and brilliant and funny and charming man. Um, the reason I bring that up is because um, I think I in- inherently knew that you need to listen to people. And I inherently knew you, you can't, you know, have, be in their face with a response at all times. But when Fred and I had a conversation and he dropped that quote in my lap and said, you know, you need to tell them to listen, to understand, not to reply. It resonated with me so much that I've stuck with that as up to and including, I use that in my review process for managers and people that I'm working with. What advice would you give to your former self? (laughs) Well, it depends on which stage of life, right? So when I was in my 20s, I would say, stop focusing on going out at night and chasing girls and focus on managing your business because we had a great business. And if I knew more back then about what I know now, about how to really manage things, I think, you know, my my brothers and I might still have that pizza restaurant, but you know, all joking aside, I say it's really inherently starting with a budget and having that roadmap and really focusing on that roadmap on two levels. Um, early in my career, I knew that I wanted to hire people who were like me, meaning nice people and smart and people I wanted to be around. I didn't understand that it was core values that I was really looking at. So I think there's two roadmaps every business needs to have. You need to have the financial roadmap of, I have a thousand dollars and that's my budget for the month. And how am I going to spend it on food and waiter and, and labor and so on and so forth, right? At the end of the month, I hope to have a profit. But your core values are the roadmap of your soul, of your emotions, of everything else. And if you don't manage through core values, you'll never hit the financial side. So way back when I was a, a, a you know young operator starting out with my brothers, we inherently knew what we wanted. We didn't know how to articulate that, both from core, core values and financial. Okay. Let's say I'm having 10 people over my apartment, okay? Like a little dinner cocktail party. What hors d'oeuvre would you recommend that I make? And what cocktail would you recommend that I serve that would be both impressive, but not too difficult for me to make? <laughs> Uh, let's, let's take the cocktail first. Cause I, cause I'm very much about, you know, I'm going to put out one cocktail and, and so that everyone can have a really great drink that I made that, that goes with our evening. And then of course we'll have beer and wine and, and people can, can, can go from there. This way I'm not stuck in the bar behind the night. And, and I'm a bar guy, as you know, I think the most crowd pleasing drink that I, I find is, is something akin to a margarita, uh, you know, where it's two parts tequila, one part Cointreau, one part simple syrup, one part lime juice, right? Um, but what I do is I switch it up and I will uh, use mezcal instead of the tequila. So that gives it a little bit smoky uh, flavor. And I'll do something like get lavender petals to infuse into the lime juice. And, and when I say infuse, meaning you make a pitcher of it, you put the lavender petals in there. And the next thing you know, you have a lavender scented margarita. It's very impressive. And it's completely different than what most people are used to. But the essence is that sweet tart drink is generally the crowd pleaser that most people identify with and goes great with any hors d'oeuvre you could serve. Speaking of the hors d'oeuvres, um, boy, it, it could change on any given day, but I'd say my my favorite, uh, personal favorite hors d'oeuvre is uh, an old school one called Devils on Horseback. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, 
And it's a very, very old school uh, hors d'oeuvre. It comes back in a favor every every few years, but it's a pitted date that you stuff with a little bit of any cheese you want. Traditionally, it's blue cheese, although I use others. Uh, You stuff it with a little bit of cheese and an almond. You wrap it in bacon and you bake it until the bacon is just crispy. And so what you get is sweet, salty, smoky, you know, crunchy bite of goodness that I've never found any one single person who doesn't like them. So I have had that. It is delicious. I never knew what it was called before, but it is delicious. I can attest to that. Yeah. So that's my 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 go-to when I want to be impressive and people are like, oh my God, I haven't had these in years. I love them. So that, yeah. that, that's one. Right, my next my next party is gonna be <laughs> off the hook. Um all right. Final question. What advice do you have for me? I don't know if I told you I'm expecting our, we're expecting our first child July 19th. So what advice do you have for me as a soon to be dad? Mm-hmm. Both in the come up in the next 2 months and then yep. you know kind of right after. Yep. And I think and 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 I, I was I knew and was hoping we would get to this point because I think the one piece of advice that um I would give any child and 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 I'll I'll tee it off to any couple as well is to love your kids more than you love any other aspect of your life, right? And if in, in by virtue of my kids were the most important thing to me, work by default became the second or third, right? Um, and therefore, I was always with a clear conscience able to put my kids ahead of my work life. And when I had conversations, of course, I work with some great people like Danny Meyer at Union Square Hospitality Group, one of the most special, fabulous human beings on the planet. He was of the same core value, right? So we, we all felt our kids were most important. And so by doing that, you never make the wrong decision. If I'm erring on the side of taking care of my kids first, I'm not erring on the side of taking care of them second. And by default, um, having them grow up and feel that way. And if I could tee off and just give you that, like part two of that is, again, I stress, I, I was fortunate to have a great partner in life, still have a great partner in life, I should say. Um, and when our son was born, um, we really took it to the mat. Uh, Max of, of saying, okay, Saturday, you sleep in. I got the baby. Don't worry about it. Do whatever you want to do. Get some rest. Sunday will be my day. And we kind of mapped out, you have to get rest because a, a tired parent, an ornery parent is not a good parent. And so one way or another, um, but you, if you love your kids more than anything else, that also includes taking care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you're no good to them. You're going to be ornery and unhappy and whatnot. So the rest piece is going to be really, really interesting. Really interesting <laughs> yeah, coming up. Yeah, we'll I, see how that it, goes. It takes a few months, but yeah, it'll get there. But it's tough in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been great, Nick. Where can people go to uh, connect with you and and learn more about you? Uh, I'd say you can connect with me. Uh, Nick Motone on LinkedIn is easy. I have a website, uh, Nick Motone dot com or Motone dash Enterprises dot com. It'll lead you to the same space. And um, I just started a Substack. It's not, uh, I haven't pushed it out to the masses yet, but uh, you can look for Nick Motone on Substack as well. And I'll be posting a lot of articles that I'm writing there and eventually some reviews and and so on and so forth. All right. Nick Motone, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much, Nick. Thank you very much, Anthony. 